morning. We hope you guys are enjoying the start of your day. Here is the second half of last week's episode as we look ahead at what we have coming up on the Reforming Lounge. The next one is, uh, well, you and I are going to go back and forth on this one, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember what episode this was. Maybe the first one, or it was definitely one of the beginning uh, episodes, and there was a little bit of uh, Let me set it up. Let me set it up, Marco. There's a little bit of ambiguity. You got us here, so let me just set it up. I didn't get us here. You just weren't as specific as you could have been. Okay, well. I have learned by doing this podcast with you that if I'm trying to move past something quickly, you're going to blow it up and make it as big as possible, (laughs) awkward as possible. So backstory are the agency that I was working for decided that they were going to mandate the vaccine. And I was just going to not talk a whole lot about that because that is a very divisive issue right now amongst the church. Unfortunately, it should not be, but it is. So rather than getting into it, I was just going to move past it. (laughs) And so I was talking about not feeling very well. And then Marco goes into, he had a very invasive, uncomfortable procedure. And still me trying to move past it. I just didn't say anything. And I was like, let's just keep going. And he keeps going. So what happens out of that? I get a message in my Bible study group saying that in my, my Bible study group, my Bible study group, bro. <laughs> One of my buddies there is like, I, I think he's listening to all our episodes. He's yeah. a pretty active uh, participant for our, our podcast. But yeah, he he sends a message in the group and he's like, "Hey, Mike got a vasectomy." <laughs> Which is not true. I got the vaccine because partially because our our CEO forced everybody to. That's <laughs> lost a lot of people out of that. Right. So and see, now I feel like we're here and I have to talk a little bit about it. I'm not I don't it. really care if people get it or not. I like how you're, <laughs> you're the one kind of snowballing this. This is what I was trying to avoid, man. Not you even, got us here. I haven't even said anything. I'm not even doing though. the thing you say I do. I'm just listening. You said, you said enough last time that now I have to speak. So <laughs> I this thought is you said enough fault. earlier. Because anyway. now you're going to like defend yourself. <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll just say this. I don't really care if people get it or not, but I don't think people should be able to force other people to get it. That's that's where I had a problem with the right. whole deal. Right. So. So yeah. So to clear it up, you did not get a vasectomy. Yep. Shout out to Josh. He's the one that sent the question. (laughs) Josh, like what is happening? It is. He is a bro. He's yeah. He's the he's the ultimate bro, in a lot of ways. Not in the worst ways, just in in a lot of ways. You know, College Humor came out with this video that talks about being a basic bro, and so Ah. when you said that Josh is a bro. I immediately think of uh, someone who loves South Park and wears baseball caps backwards. Um, Oof. Nope. Is that Josh? No, 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 no. Man, South Park. Jeez. I nope. South Park. 
that's not Josh. He's he's a bro in in different types of ways, oh, good ways. See, now, now we're talking. I feel like that's going to be the next mailbag. Let me explain the kind of bro oh, my friend my Josh gosh. can be, because oh, Josh is going to listen to this and get all offended. Well, what no. kind of bro do you think I am then? Yeah. Yeah. See, here you are doing yeah. it again. Oh, this is what I'm talking him, about. This and he's going to do the whole about, like bro. thought and emotion thing, and mm. you're going to have to break it down. Counsel Josh. Boom. There we are. Me, Josh, man. Apparently. <laughs> all right. Well, officially you can take lost care of that. Of so that- <laughs> 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 all right. So I'm glad we got that cleared up. You don't, you did not get a vasectomy. You're going to counsel Josh instead. The next thing is um, we're talking about uh, you received a question. This is this is some is a question that you received. And the question was for me regarding or maybe it was for you and you turned it over to me. And the question was, why is Jesus called the son of man? And so do you want to give a little bit of uh, insight into this and then I'll answer it? Um. One of my buddies that I played D&D with started listening to our podcast and he was like, can I ask questions that have nothing to do with that episode? And I was like, I mean, yeah, probably. And he was like, why is Jesus called the son of man? And I was like, man, I have no idea. I'll ask Marco. (laughs) So here we are. Yeah. So some will say that uh, the uh, one of the reasons I don't know how accurate this one is, uh, but some will say that one of the reasons Jesus refers to himself as the son of man is to remind his disciples that at the end of the day, he is also a man. <laughs> it's so that he would be more human to his human friends. Um, I guess I don't buy that one. Uh, the son of man is a title that Jesus uses with a great amount of humility And the title, uh, Son of Man, comes from um, uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel. And in Daniel 7, uh, Daniel's having this vision uh, of this individual um, who is referred to as the Son of Man. And in Daniel 7, 13, he says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And so the title son of man, when we fast forward to the gospels, the title of son of man that is used by Jesus is exactly that. It is a title of exaltation, Um, that he is the one who is not only descended, but ascended back into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. It is one of exaltation and ultimately sovereign rule as he sits at the right hand of the father. Uh, And therefore, or not therefore, but when Jesus uses it, he's using it with great humility. Like the disciples aren't catching it. Um, And so the disciples might think that he is saying it that way because, you know, he is also fully man. But when Jesus is using it, um in the context of the gospels it's actually a really dense title having to do with his with him being and with him being a heavenly being who has descended and ascended back into uh heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father so it's actually it's a pretty dense title that he uses with great humility 
Boom. There's a lot there. Good job, mm-hmm. man. Thanks, man. You should Thanks, be a bro. pastor. You should like <laughs> pastor people and like preach and stuff. Yeah. Well, was, I tried. That was pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, good. so that's that's the whole thing. It, it's a title that he uses with great humility, uh, but it actually describes his divine authority. It's almost like we need to know about the old testament. Yeah. It's like there's it's like there's stuff there that's actually matters. <laughs> yeah, that's what you know, sometimes. That's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, when he said that, I was like, man, that's a good question. Like, I feel like I should have wondered that myself, and I just have not, you know. Yeah. I guess I think I just always went to like, well, he's fully God and fully man. Yeah. You know, but yeah. just kind of some people there. go there. You know, yeah. like some people will, will will say, well, the reason he says he's son of man is so because, you know, he is fully human and therefore he's trying to relate to the disciples. And the title of son of man comes out in Ezekiel and he refers to himself as son of man because he's a man. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Jesus must just be relating to the disciples. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in part, that's not untrue. And you know, he is fully man. He's fully God and he is fully man. That's called the hypostatic union. And, um, and so, uh, so there's, there's some truth to that, but there's a little bit more to uncover when it comes to this title. Um, and it, and it takes us all the way back to Daniel seven and Daniel 10. Uh, so that when Jesus enters into human history, um and dwells among us and refers to himself as the son of man yes he is using it with humility among the disciples sure but it's also uh it's an expression of his divine authority and that divine authority is further established in his ascension back into heaven as he sits at the right hand of the father that is hypostatic union Mm-hmm. Write that one down. Yeah. Figure that one oh. out. Just confuse more people. So <laughs> next one. What is a hypostatic union? Yeah. It's, it's, what was that? Yeah. Um, okay. So the next one, I hope that that helps your friend out. The next one is you wanted to further elaborate on a couple of things. This is uh the seven principles of making marriage work. Uh, and I'm not gonna lie, I don't remember why we were gonna tackle this, but I know you wanted to expand on this. So, and I, let me add one more thing. I'm really glad that you're gonna talk a lot on this, not just this, but especially what you were saying about feelings and emotions, thoughts and emotions, the Enneagram. The reason I say that is because one piece of feedback, not one piece of feedback, no, I'm not lying. Several pieces of feedback that we received from listeners was number one. Um, a large percentage of our listener te- listeners tend to be, um, and they tend to be uh, Christians or attending a church faithfully. They're they're in that 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 sphere um, and following Jesus well, which is wonderful. And so, a lot of what I've said tends to line up either with their pastors or some of them are even in my congregation, and so they hear me talk regularly. And a lot of the things that you began to expand upon in season one, people found um, um, both down here in the Valley and up there in DFW, people found to be very interesting, very enlightening, very uh, challenging. And so the the feedback was, we want to hear the therapist 
side of things more. We want Fowler to to elaborate more on, oh, on some of the things you guys talk about. So I want you take this, bro. Seven principles of making marriage work. Make it happen. And well, that's nice to hear. Um, so I <laughs> I wasn't going to spend a ton of time on this, uh, but one of that was some of the feedback that I got from a buddy is he wanted to hear more about it. So I was yeah. like, okay. Um, so the seven principles of making marriage work, work is actually a book by John Gottman. And it's sort of Johnny a Gats. summer. Johnny Gatz. Wow. That's a really good nickname. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Italian at all, but it sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like a summarization of his research. And so I talked about this a little bit in our love and respect uh, episode. Hashtag love and respect sucks. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, basically what Real got quick, me. Is, I had a congregant listen oh, to yeah. that, uh, yes. that, that episode. And she sends me this picture. First, she tells me, I just listened to the episode. I had just finished buying that book and Ooh. then she sends me a picture and she says, now I know what it's good for. And it's holding up like a candle and some, some other little like ornaments. Like it's what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's amazing. That's good. That's really um, good. That makes me so happy. I can't believe you didn't send me that picture. You I, need to send I mean, it I can find it, it, but yeah, that's amazing, dude. Good. Yeah. <laughs> So sorry, continue. Saving lives out here. (laughs) Don't get me started there, though, because then we'll get stuck. Uh, Okay. Too easy. Stop interrupting me, Marco. Jeez. My bad. Trying to give a a helpful summary here. So it's it's a summarization of his work. And essentially what what Gottman did is he uh, followed a variety of couples over the course of several years. And basically just examined kind of how they operated together. Um, And from that, they compiled like things that people had in common that ended up being healthy couples and that ended up having, you know, a long-term relationship and not ending the relationship. And so that spawned the seven principles of making marriage work. Um, so he's done a, a tremendous amount of, of work in this area. What the seven principles are, <clears throat> um, you can look up the sound marital house and there's a really awesome picture that kind of puts them together. Um, and I think it's a helpful analogy because part of what he talks about is like kind of the foundation of a healthy relationship is love maps. And so this is, I know these first three or so I probably talked about in the episode, um, but love maps is just like knowing about each other, you know, having context for um, your likes and dislikes, things that go on during your day, things that you're concerned about, things you're excited about, uh, just kind of knowing, you know, your internal world of, of your partner. The next one is fondness and admiration, which is just like being intentional about and, and aware of the things that you like about each other. So it can be easy for people as they go on in the relationship to be more focused, depending on a lot of things, but um, can end up getting more focused on the things they dislike about each other. But that can actually really be combated 
if you're intentional about showing appreciation, being explicit about the things that you do, um, uh, that your partner does that, you know, you notice and are appreciative of, uh, which is not as common as you might think, it, really? at least with p- people that end up being distressed. Um, that's definitely a component where they just don't even think to say those things out loud. And then mm-hmm. sometimes once they do, that can actually be really helpful. And then turning towards instead of turning away. You know, this is one I talked about last time too, but just kind of a brief review is like turning towards is, um, you know, if, someone makes a bid for attention, um, like kind of pointing out some, something that happened during the day or something interesting that they came across, um, kind of engaging in conversation there would be turning towards, um, turning away would be just like kind of ignoring it or, you know, just not really responding to it in some way. And then there's turning against, which is more of like a hostile kind of combative um, response that they might have. Right. <laughs> um, so that's, I think that's all of the ones that we talked about last time, but then from there, there's the positive perspective. And this is sort of the crux of the whole thing. Like if, if this isn't there, then all the other things are difficult. And that's, this is sort of the one that uh, really became problematic for me um, when I was just learning about this work and, you know, learning more about marriage counseling and, and what works and what doesn't work is how you actually create this. Um, so I can go off about that, but we'll go ahead and, and finish the uh, the summary here, but positive perspective is basically just kind of being charitable towards each other, expecting the best from your partner, which is not an easy thing to just force to happen from there. It's managing conflict. Um, so some of the things that he breaks down there is like being able to accept influence from each other. So if your partner has a different perspective, um, or y'all are in disagreement and on something being willing to listen to their side of it uh, and consider their perspective dialogue about problems, uh, just being able to talk about things that um, you are able to manage. So there's, they break it down. It's, it's not really on the sound marital house, but they kind of break it down into solvable problems and unsolvable problems. Okay. Um, and so solvable problems is, you know, things that you're able to end up working through together. Unsolvable problems might be like, we have different religions and we mm. feel like, you know, like this is never going to change. Right. And so one of the things that he tries to help people do is he calls it overcoming gridlock of just being able to have an ongoing conversation with your partner about the things that you disagree on rather than just kind of like this divide that just increases over the years. Um, That's really good, actually. I think it's really, because it sounds very simple. I mean, I I think about the experiences of certain people, if we use that example, right? Like individuals who are married and have different religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, what I've seen is almost this line where it's like, yeah, this kind of like the vaccine, right? Like this is just something we're not going to talk about. Right. Right. We're going to try to work our lives around it mm-hmm. and not talk about it <clears throat> and try to honor one another, respect one another. 
but to some degree, it's always going to come back to this um, because, right, like what you believe shapes how you live. And, and you don't you don't have to be a Christian to follow that kind of philosophy. It just it just is right. Whatever it is that your beliefs are yeah. um, about how you view the world is how it is is going to shape how you live in it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's really that's that's just a really helpful and practical way of processing that. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So that's that's one of the areas there. The last couple is um, making life dreams come true. This is just like future planning, kind of working mm-hmm. on things together. Um, and the next one is very similar, creating shared meaning. So he's, he's really big on like rituals, like date nights and, um, you know, uh, trying to think of other things. I mean, just like family traditions, taking trips together. Like, I I think one example that comes to mind is how you and Rebecca seem to be really consistent with like, when you're, you know, taking a trip, like how you've got your, you'll, and I forget the the number of days that you kind of qualify this in, but you, it's like you plan time for the actual trip and then you plan time to like, just kind of rest and get back into the rhythm of things once you get home. Right? Oh yeah. 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 We'll, we'll come home like a day or two before like that vacation weekend or week is over yeah. just to readjust to being home instead of, uh, because we both hate launching back into work the day after we get home from vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's kind of just like one of the ways that your family functions, Mm -hmm. right? It's something Mm -hmm. that kind of like the, like the subculture of your home. Uh, So that's kind of the last one on there. So that's the summary of the, just what the seven principles actually are. Um, and so kind of going back to what I was saying when I was talking about the positive perspective is when there's, I mean, when there's emotional distress in a relationship and especially when there's, um, when we might have some of these attachment strategies that do not work very well, then just thinking charitably of your partner is not nearly as simple as it may sound. And so that's why I don't even really use this approach that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I do use it, it's like at the end of couples treatment. Oh, so okay. a lot of times people will come in and they're like, Hey, we need help with communication. We disagree on sex. We disagree on money, disagree on parenting. And they're kind of coming in wanting like tools. Everybody says the same, like right. we need some tools around this area. Just tell me what to do. Right. Which is understandable. Right. I mean, you're in distress. You want it to stop. Right. So naturally, that would be something that you'd be looking for. The issue is that a lot of times people already know, like they already have tools. They both have different sets of tools, but they just cannot use them together because Mm -hmm. they end up getting stuck. Right. And so when people go through emotionally focused couples therapy and you change that part of it, a lot of times all the other stuff just falls into place. Mm. And so sometimes people will stick around for that level of treatment where they're like, we've been stuck on money since we've known each other and we definitely need help getting through that. But when you've done kind of the, the work 
prior to that, people end up figuring it out really, Mm. really quickly. Um, And so I had experiences when I was an intern and this was like the only theory that I would use. Um, And then I would see areas where it just didn't work and it Mm. wasn't helping them. Yeah. Um, And so that's when I kind of started exploring some other things and our program director was really into emotionally focused couples therapy. And so I checked that out and I was like, man, this stuff is amazing. And it's just continued like, and then the amount of research that's on it, like with, with Gottman, um, there tends to be follow-up after a couple of years where, you know, people will do good for a while, but then they end up having to go back when it comes to emotionally focused couples therapy, when they, most couples like more than I think it's like 66% or something like that, that make it through the entire treatment. Mm -hmm. They just keep getting better after they leave Oh wow! because they have the tools. They have the ideas. It's their partner's not hearing them or they're not hearing their partner. right? Right. So once those things change, they don't need some, they don't need a life coach to tell them what to do in their marriage. Right. for the rest of their life. Right. They just need to be able to actually have a conversation, which is far more complicated than it seems <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I, I actually thought you were going to end like, which is as simple as that. I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. It is actually kind of complicated depending on the it's, individuals. It's simple, but it's hard. Yeah. It's simple. Not yeah. easy. Yeah. So, mm. so that's why I don't talk about this a whole lot is because going back to what we talked about in the love and respect episode also of when people end up, especially couples that are really into stress, mm-hmm. maybe like a couple that's doing okay, they can get ideas like this. They can, you know, you know, chew the meat, spit the bones, yeah, take what works, just forget about the rest of it. If they can do that, that's great. But what I see happen with the population that I'm primarily working with is people will see this stuff. One of them might use it. The other one doesn't. And right. then it just fans the flames of the conflict of like, you don't care enough to do this stuff. This is all we have to do to fix our relationship. Why aren't you doing it? Right. But it's not that easy. Yeah. So Because it's really just willpower. There is no um, heart work. You know, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because it, it sort of needs to be some like transformational process for them to be able to take things on and right. then you know people's internal world can just be very very complicated very painful in a yeah. lot of ways yeah. so sometimes this stuff really touches on a lot of pain that sometimes they aren't even aware of mm-hmm. i've had people where we're in like the the second stage of treatment where you're really digging into the deepest hardest parts for them and They've said things like, I didn't even know that this stuff was inside of me. Mm. <laughs> Just talking about their own internal world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it it makes sense though when when you see that kind of stuff, how like telling someone, hey, you just need to be more intentional about letting your your spouse know the things you appreciate about them, that, that can actually be a really complicated request. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it makes me think about some of the the marriage. Uh, the couples that I meet with or marriage counseling or even premarital counseling and just some of the things that they've shared and some of the responses are similar. Not that I do nearly the kind of work anywhere near the kind of work you do. Um, 
but even scratching the surface of some of that, having that kind of a response where, man, I, I didn't even know this was inside of me. I didn't even, I had one individual tell me, man, I thought because I was an adult, I've, I've gotten over this. And because I addressed it once or twice, I thought I was capable of walking through this only to realize that there's, there's significantly a lot more stuff to, to work through, but now working through that in the context of a marriage adds a little bit of challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes people, because we have to learn to deal with the things that we've gone through right. in one way or another. Right. And so sometimes people end up thinking like, well, I don't think about this anymore, so it doesn't bother me anymore. Right. But then if they start talking about it and yeah. actually let themselves think about it, they realize that they haven't dealt with it at all. Yeah. yeah. That's not really a bad thing. It, I mean, that just shows that there's more work to be done there. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. Man, well, I hope that we have provided listeners with some clarity on not just where we have been, and we want to thank our listeners for being patient and demonstrating grace, but at the same time, uh, giving them some clarity regarding the Enneagram, spirituality, emotions, Mike's vasectomy, um, you know, why Jesus is called the son of man. <laughs> That he didn't get one, not this time. Thanks, and, bro. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then uh and then working through Johnny Gotts's work. Um, so so I hope that this has provided listeners with um you listeners with some clarity. Um, in addition to that, man, we welcome your questions. We we want to hear from you, we want to tackle some of the things that maybe we could have been a little bit more. Uh, specific on or elaborate on certain details, or even if you just have questions, whether it's about theology or counseling uh, or mental health concerns and discipleship, um, we would love to hear from our listeners. Uh, sure. But until then, we're really excited for season two. Once more, we have a lot of things planned from interviews to a couple more book reviews. Um, we're looking forward to bringing on some special guests uh, and for you guys to meet them. Um, but other than that, definitely check us out on social media as we're going to be posting a lot more frequently. Uh, and until then, if you got anything, hook us up with those questions and then we will see y'all next week. Deuces. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at The Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit thereforminglounge.com.